and head out that door right there, first grade through fifth grade. They're going to have a great time learning about the Lord and playing games and just having a good time doing it. So moms and dads, you can pick them up right after the service in that room over there. We're going to be in Proverbs 18. So if you guys want to go ahead and jump on into Proverbs 18, we'll have it on the screen. Uh, you'll let your Bible fall open to the middle of the Psalms. Take a right. The next book, Proverbs. Proverbs 18, okay? That's where we're going to continue our walk through the book of Proverbs as we have this summer. Um, I just want to start out by saying, I don't know what else to say this. I said it a couple of weeks ago. I want to say it again. I'm just proud of you. I'm proud of you as a church. Um, proud to be a part of you guys. Um, this week, maybe let me tell you a couple of things or some of the things that we've been doing, uh, that you've been doing. Um, to, or Friday, I guess it was, or Thursday, I forget. Uh, we got um, some gift cards to some homeless girls. I told you about this several weeks ago. We were hoping to be able to have them here. They are actually trying to hold down jobs during the summer while they're still kind of homeless, which is crazy, but they're both working, um, which is great. So they just couldn't be here today. Um, but we were able to get these girls. They graduated from high school here in the LCISD school district um, while they were homeless, which is an accomplishment, a miracle in and of itself. Um, and they both got accepted to college. Um, and so to get them into their dorm rooms, we were able to give them, uh, I think each of them got a $500 gift card to Target just to get stuff for their dorms. So for them, it'll be the first time they've kind of owned anything in their lives um, and getting into their dorms, which is huge. It's a place to live, a roof over their head, food, um, all that kind of stuff. And you guys made that possible. So thank you so much for giving and letting us do that. Yeah, amen. That's just for the Lord, man. We got to bless them. Uh, we did Jenny Lane this week. We gave out 100 backpacks, I think, or so. We're going to give some more to Carter's kids. Um, if we have anything left over, which I don't think we will, we'll take it to one of the elementary schools. That's an amazing ministry. Um, we will also, yeah, maybe this week, I forget, but I think maybe this Saturday, we're going to give that, the lawn equipment to Life's Purpose, which was Carter's kids, um, and they're going to start a, a lawn service company um, and uh, start to do people's lawns, teach these boys about finances and having a little business and responsibility and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so you guys are awesome because you let us do this kind of stuff. So just thank you. And it really is a, an honor um, to be a part of this church. Um, so thanks for letting us do all those things. So um, we're going to continue to be in the book of Proverbs. Like I said, we're talking about wisdom and foolishness, what it means to be wise and what it means to be a fool. Uh, we kind of, def we've defined wisdom in a lot of different ways. And, and, and wisdom Maybe another way for us to understand wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to apply God's truth, um, to apply God's thoughts to complex realities of life because life is not simple. Life is not a straight line, you know? Um, life is full of a lot of difficulties, hard decisions, complex issues that come up in our lives. So wisdom, we've kind of understood that wisdom is the ability to take God's thoughts um, and to take God's ways and apply them to the complex realities of life. So when we think about, when you think about wisdom, when we think about wisdom and we talk about it, I don't want you to think about wisdom means being moral. Wisdom means being good. It includes those things, but it's much more than those things. Being wise does include being a moral person. It does include being a good person and making good decisions. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. It's real life change, heart change that comes through a rebirth um, with a, a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the way we get to being a moral person or a good person is through this really deep uh, life change. And so, man, what I would say to some of you today, you struggle, you find yourself struggling constantly um, with foolishness and wisdom. And I would say this, maybe that's because you're just tasting a little bit about God and you're waiting around, you're messing around in the shallow water, and you got to jump down deep inside of it and just drown in the grace of Jesus Christ. Like, that's how you get to this place. It, we're not talking about trying a new diet, you know? We're not talking about trying a new Tony Robbins DVD set, right, to see if we can change our lives. We're talking about something that gets deep into the heart of who we are and radically recreates us. And that doesn't happen when you just piddle around with the things of God. You got to jump in hard, okay? So some of wisdom is understanding, man, I can't play around with this. I got to go all in. It's either everything that I'm going to be about or it's nothing, right? 
So that's what we need to think when we talk about applying God's truths and thoughts to everyday complex realities of life. And I think that's the other thing I want to start out with here is that I don't want anybody to be mistaken when you read the Proverbs or you read Scripture or the New Testament. Um, the Bible doesn't have a, a simplistic view of humanity. The Bible has a very complex view of who we are, has a very complex understanding um, of how we are put together. We are complicated beings. And when life comes at us and situations come at us and they kind of make us even more fragmented because life's already hard and then these wrecking balls smash into our lives and they just kind of expose more of this fragmentation and our complexities come out even more, there's, some, there's a couple of things that can make that harder. So we're already complex. Life comes along and smashes into us and kind of fragments us a little bit more than we may already be. And I think there's two things that can make it more difficult to handle the difficulties of life, the hard times of life. And I would say this, one of them is an overly simplified worldview. You can be a liberal person and have an overly simplistic worldview, right? So you can think about poverty. If you're a liberal person and you think about poverty, you're like, well, just, just redistribute wealth. It's a money issue. If you know anything about poverty, it's not a money issue, is it? There's so much more involved in the poverty equation than just finances and money. But if you're a liberal with an overly simplified worldview, if you're a conservative with an overly simplified worldview, you say, well, work harder. That's an overly simplistic worldview. The, the reality of life is much, much more complicated than those things. But if you approach life with a very, very black and white, straight-line view of everything, life gets harder to deal with because life is not simplistic. Life is complicated and it's complex. And you and I, how we deal with the struggles of life is a complex issue. We can make it more complicated if we see everything a little bit too simplistically. Another thing that can make it hard, the, the other thing I would say, is we just live in an instant culture. And when, when we already kind of have an understanding that we might be a little broken inside and then life comes along and slams into us and we don't know which way to go, we want it fixed yesterday, right? We want it fixed immediately. We want to take a pill for that, right? We want a pill for the pain, a book with the answers, some procedure for the body, answers for our questions, checklists that we can take, you know, check boxes as we go through, and then when we're finished, everything's going to be okay. We want instant relief for the complexities of life, and that makes dealing with the complicated issues of life harder. It's already difficult, and when you have a very short-term, simplistic view of life that demands instant answers, it's going to be even more difficult for us to deal with. So, we're going to look at Scripture. If our tendency is to simple, oversimplify things and want instant fixes, we're going to look at Scripture, and I'm going to say, man, thank God that He doesn't treat us like that, and the Bible doesn't treat us like that. That the gospel, I want to thank God that the gospel is working on us in all of our complicated ways that the gospel doesn't have a simplistic view of mankind, that all of the complicated things that are part of who we are, and honestly, they're part of God's image, right? God's a complicated creature, a being. Creature would be the wrong word. God is a complicated being. And that there's good news for us that we can find peace and centeredness, and I would say a biblical word, sort of a selah, a psalm's peace about us, in every part of who we are, because God is complicated, he knows we're complicated, and his answers answer, and they satiate, satisfy all those complications in our lives. So we're going to look at some hard things today as we look at this proverb, Proverb 18. And as we look at this today, we'll see some of that complexity come out in how we deal with the difficulties of life. So what hope do we have when, when life is just overwhelmingly hard, and we get the wind knocked out of us. I haven't had the wind knocked out of me in a long time, not physically, you know? But can you remember that, that feeling you're on the swing set at, at, at the park, and maybe you try to jump out, you know, when you're going high and you miss and your, your feet slip and you land on your tail or your back, and, oh, you know, and you can't breathe and it's panic, right? There's that moment of panic like, I'm going to die jumping out of a swing set, you know? And you can't breathe and everything starts to hurt and you just kind of have that moment of panic. That hasn't happened to me physically in a long time, but my gosh, that happens a lot, it seems like, in life, doesn't it? Where you're just swinging along, and you're like, I'm going to try this, or this is what's going to happen next, and something comes along and just gut punches you right in the solar plexus, right? And you can't catch your breath, and you know, I'm going to die here. 
This is all. This is it. So what do we do? What hope do we have when life is just overwhelmingly hard and we get the wind knocked out of us? So I will say this. At the beginning of this, I had to really wrap my mind around these concepts at the beginning of, of this proverb, and I really have a debt to pay to Tim Keller, to be honest, um, as he handled some of these things, as I wrap my mind around this. Um, this proverb describes several causes of a crushed spirit. What is it that causes us to get the wind knocked out of us? What are some things in life that can crush our spirit? And it gives us supernatural hope for our crushed spirit. So what are, what are the, some things that come along and cause us to get the wind knocked out of us? And what are some things that God has supernaturally to help us, to preserve us when we are crushed? So we're not going to read this entire proverb. We're really going to spend our time in a couple of verses. But in this proverb, and really throughout the book of Proverbs, there are several things that, that um, it talks about as far as things that can come and knock us down. Um, one of it's our, our self-imposed failings. Sometimes it's like I'm punching myself, you know? Somebody else doesn't punch me. I find me, I'm punching myself. I'm knocking the wind out of me. My own self-imposed failings can take the breath out of me and can come along and kind of bring a crushing uh, experience in my life. There's sometimes the destructive work of other people. Other people do things that knock the wind out of me. Circumstances, um, all kinds of things, pain and disappointments of life, all these things. So I don't have time to go through all of them. We'll talk some more about them. Um, but this proverb describes several of those situations. Um, and what we can do is we try to lift our heads up um, out of those situations. So look at real quickly... Proverbs chapter 18, verse 14. And this is kind of the, the pivotal verse that I really wanted to spend some time on today. Proverbs 18, verse 14. The spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can endure it? Who can endure a broken spirit? So that's what I really wanted to spend some time with. So what are some things, again, from Proverbs that might cause us to have a crushed spirit? In just this proverb today that we're, I just don't have time to read, but there's things like empty flattery. People who come along and build us up only to come along behind us and knock us down later on. Empty flattery can do that. Laziness can do that. Wealth, if we trust in our wealth, it can knock us down and take the wind out of us. Um, empty, ill-informed, arrogant words. Lack of knowledge lack of understanding, lack of wisdom, all these things, when we live our lives like this, it can lead us to this enduring emptiness, a crushed spirit. So Proverbs is interesting in that it doesn't highlight any one cause for a crushed spirit. It just says when you're crushed in your spirit, here's what God can do to kind of raise you out of it, and here's 25 things that can cause you to have your crushed spirit. Some of them are external. They're going to come from outside, and they're going to attack us from out there and beat us down and crush our spirits. There's a lot in Proverbs where it says, no, you're your own worst enemy. You're constantly torpedoing every good thing that you want to do in your own life. You're setting charges around the, 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 the base of the bridge and blowing up your own bridges while you think and while you're trying to grow in the Lord, right? And, and do the things in life that you're supposed to. So Proverbs is very interesting in that it approaches us as complicated beings. It doesn't give us a simplistic answer. What is it that crushes our spirit? Things out there. What is it that crushes our spirit? How we handle the things out there, right? So it's a little bit of a combination maybe of both those things together. But if we live our lives like those, those, uh, in those ways with pride and emptiness and arrogant words and not, uh, not seeking knowledge and understanding, we can kind of reach a point in life where we're just living with a crushed spirit. We're just living in this place, and we would literally say, what, why would I even get up today? What's the purpose of my life today? It can take away all purpose of life and joy in life. It can steal everything from us. Relationships, our inner lives, purpose in life, joy, all of those things can come along. So I think that, that uh, if you're going to categorize what are some of the things, I think there's four or five categories of things that can crush our spirits. One of those is a broken body. I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but some of us know what we're talking about. This is pain that won't go away, chronic pain. Uh, my uncle had a condition, and I cannot remember the name of it. Uh, it causes a nerve in your face to fire, and it never turns off. 
and it's called the suicide disease because 95% of the people that get it kill themselves. Chronic pain. Chronic pain will crush your spirit, right? Broken bodies can knock the wind out of us. What's another thing? Uh, broken emotions, a broken heart. We can, we've begun to prove now that when people have a broken heart, they can die. Haven't we all don't have those anecdotal stories, right, of some uh, couple that's been married 50 years, 60 years, and one of them passes away, and two weeks later, the other one passes. And it's literally, their heart is just crushed. Their spirit and their will to live has been taken out of them. Their emotions are hurt and broken and bruised. It is poor advice to come along to one of those people and say, cheer up, isn't it? Isn't that bad advice at that point? It's good advice, but it's bad advice. It's simplistic, is it not? We are complex beings. Broken body, broken emotions, broken actions, sin. Sin can take away our desire to live. David talks about that. There's a psalm in particular where he's mourning his sin. And he's like, my bones ache. I, I soak my bed in tears at nighttime. I can barely breathe is the language that he uses. And it's because of a sin that he's committed. So pent-up guilt, false guilt, sometimes overblown guilt. Some of us have a tendency to take on too much guilt. And all those things connected to sin, broken actions, things that we do, can take away our will. Broken inner life. Those of us who don't have a purpose for living, we've kind of gone through life, we've done the family thing, we've done the money thing, we've done the two-house thing, we've done the boat thing, we've done the vacation house thing, we've done the world travel thing, and we're like, is this all there is? Is this it? What is the purpose for me being here? What is the purpose in my life? Those of us who have no purpose and why we're taking another breath today, that can crush your spirit. That can take away your desire to get up and do it again and to take another breath and to live life again. No purpose. Why am I here? And then the last thing I would say is broken dreams. Broken dreams. Verse 14, it says, your broken spirit Maybe even we could say a broken heart. What have you set your life on? And sometimes we set our lives on things. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who are above about 40 years old, and they would just look at you in a moment of reflection and go, I never expected life to be like this. I never expected what has happened in my life for the last 25 years to happen to me. That stuff happened to somebody else. I had dreams, goals, aspirations, the way that things were supposed to be. It didn't turn out that way. And sometimes those broken dreams can lead us to this place of a crushed spirit. So I would say those are your four or five categories if you wanted to take Scripture and the Proverbs in particular and see what it says about what leads us to this place of having a crushed spirit to be a broken body, broken emotions, broken actions, a broken inner life without purpose, and broken dreams. Those are the things that can kind of lead us to this place of being crushed. Now I would also say this. I don't know what it was like to live in 1900, 1700, 1500, 1300, 900. I have no idea. But I have a feeling that we are pretty wimpy people. I, I just think our general continence is just weak, right? I, I was thinking Mindy and I went to uh, Colorado two years ago. And I'm driving up a mountain, right, in a rental car. And I'm like, people did this on ox, and donkeys and on foot. It took them six months to get from Kansas City to San Francisco. Right? Now nobody wants to go to San Francisco. <laughs> but back then they did. Six months. Right? We wouldn't do any of that stuff. Right? We want to get on a plane. We want to get to Dallas. I want the bullet train from here to Dallas, right? I want to get to Dallas in an hour. I don't want that to take a four-hour drive. You get in an airplane, it still takes four hours by the time you get to the, airplane, the airport and get on and get up. It's a little four-hour turnaround. Right? We are generally a low-strength, low-endurance, low-perseverance group of people. The first sign of difficulty, we are done. We are out, and we are letting everybody know on Facebook how hard it is. <laughs> We're Instagramming how difficult it was. They burned my dinner at Chipotle today. Huh, whatever, you know. We're taking pictures of it and sending it to people. You know, we just struggle with everything. So I, I do think some of this crushed spirit thing is real. There's a real reality, and I know who I'm talking to. 
I know who I know what we're going through and the reality of a crushed spirit. I get it. But I would also say some of us walk around like we're crushed all the time and we need to get over it a little bit. We need a little bit of discernment as we walk through life. So I would just say that some of us need to discern between being sick and a crushed spirit. Take that verse and split it in half, okay? You can endure sickness. Who can endure a crushed spirit? They are not the same thing. Difficulties in life, illnesses in life, sicknesses in life, hard times in life, they're not the same thing as a crushed spirit. And they don't have to go hand in hand. They can, but they don't have to. So some of us need a little bit of discernment between sickness and what a truly crushed spirit is. Some of us need to discern better about what they allow to crush their spirit. Some of us almost invite it. And we're kind of looking for a reason for somebody to hurt us or to offend us or to crush our spirits so we have another reason to get up and complain about something again tomorrow. And some of us need to have a better discernment about what we allow to crush our spirits. I would say, there we go. I would say, I would also say this. I think in the New Testament, Jesus is referring to this a little bit where he's like, don't throw pearls before swine. Some of us need to have a little bit more discernment about the precious things we're putting in front of people so that they don't get crushed. Okay, so we need some better discernment in these areas and then some of us need discernment and quit crushing people's spirits Some of us are spirit crushers And we need to quit we need better discernment about how we speak your opinion your viewpoint your harshness Your empty cowardly encouragements to people aren't doing anything but crushing their spirit And we got to have better discernment in those areas So I think there's a discernment issue here that other proverbs will talk about but I do want to throw that there so here at the beginning of verse 14, he talks about sickness, right? And so he says at the beginning of 14, the spirit of a man can endure sickness. So here's how I would interpret that. Our spirit can help us, help our bodies endure a sickness, right? An inner strength from our spirit that can help us fight the ills that come to our bodies. There is a inner strength that God can give us that I think we can kind of fortify and that we can build up to some degree that will allow us to endure certain kinds of illnesses. Now, I've seen this in the extreme in believers who are glorifying God in the middle of a terminal illness. I would say it this way. They are conquering death even as they face it. I've seen believers do that. I have stood beside the bed of a man who is dying and he's lost his bodily functions and he is just a shell of himself and he is singing and lifting his arms in worship while he's dying within 24 hours of him taking his last breath I don't have any explanation for that other than he's exceptionally deluded or his inner man has been strengthened by the Holy Spirit of God who praises the Lord at that point his spirit can, in, can help us or your spirit can help you endure certain kinds of sicknesses and I would say all the way to death and beyond Right? We're going to face all kinds of hardships here, but we're going to a place where hardship doesn't exist. Amen? Amen. We're going to mourn and we're going to be sad and we're going to endure things here that we'll never have to endure again. This spirit, this idea of who God is, God's wisdom, etc., etc., can strengthen our spirits and it can help us endure sickness even unto death. But, right? There's something beyond illness that can crush our spirits the word here used for spirit and it's not an unusual word in the old testament it's just ruach and it means wind that's all it means but used for a human being it's this idea in the old testament like our inner energy that we ba- that we uh, that we would daily use to kind of tackle life that energy that does make you get up and turn the alarm off and hit snooze two times and then get up you know kind of a thing and you go tackle life on a daily basis. It's this inner energy, the inner life of a human being. Modern people probably call it an emotional energy. It's a passion for life. An inner drive that pushes us into our daily lives and makes us want to figure out how to conquer it. Every day is full of things that you've got to conquer, right? Every single day is full of things that you've got to get up and you've got to figure out, am I going to let this thing rule me and beat me or am I going to beat it? And this ruach is your inner spirit. It's your, it's your inner strength that causes you to get up and go, I'm not going to be beaten by that today. I'm going to beat it today. I'm going to conquer that thing today. 
There's a crushed spirit. So what is a crushed spirit? I would say this. It's that inner man, inner woman, inner person who looks at life, surveys life, and they just have no gumption. I don't know. That's a good southern word, right? They got no gumption, no desire, no joy. You lose your passion to get up and to conquer life. Everything from a general malaise to a lack of internal energy to literally not wanting to live. We have all experienced this in some degree or another, right? A general blahness, there's blah, everything's blah right now, you know, to I don't want to get up today. I can't do this again today, right? It has beaten me. That is a crushed spirit. God points us to develop an, a rich inner life, a rich inner life where our inner man and our inner lives and our inner spirits are being fed and matured and grown and prepared for the thing in the day that's going to come and smash into us and tell us it's over. And God encourages us over and over and over again to build ourselves up to be ready for that day. We saw it earlier in Psalm chapter 4, verse 23. It's the encouragement that I think overarches all of, I mean, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4, 23. It's the encouragement that overarches all of Proverbs. Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. God is constantly encouraging us to build ourselves up in our inner man, in our spirits, to be ready for these things that are going to come and beat up against us. Now, here's our real problem, and I, I firmly believe this. This is our big problem in the West, why we're so soft. We are absolutely convinced that our lasting joy and happiness and meaning and fulfillment are dependent on our external circumstances. We're convinced of that. That is an underlying baseline assumption for almost everybody in this room. I will be happy if all of my life circumstances work out the way that I want them to. If not, crushed. We are convinced. This is way beyond values. This is a baseline assumption that we have in our hearts and our heads. We're convinced that our joy, our meaning in life, our fulfillment in life is completely dependent on external circumstances. We really believe that our souls are most satisfied when we're healthy, when we're attractive, when we don't have anything to worry about, when we don't have to worry about money, when our relationship statuses online are okay. We really believe that is where happiness is found. My life and my happiness and my satisfaction are gauged by my circumstances. Now, the message of Scripture, and I'm going to say the entire testimony of Scripture is the opposite of that. There is no place in the Bible, not one, where God will intimate or Scripture will teach you to be happy and to be overjoyed because life turned out the way you want it. We're going to praise God for every blessing that he gives, but satisfaction, fulfillment, joy, and peace are not dependent on circumstances. And Scripture teaches us the exact opposite of that. Scripture says, no, 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 wait. Fulfillment has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do with how you process them, how you understand them, how you plan on dealing with them. It's why Paul can write to us in Ephesians chapter 3, I praise that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He does not say, I am praying that you never get arrested by the magistrates because you worship Jesus. I'm praying you never get thrown to the lions because you won't bow your knee and say Caesar is Lord. I pray that nobody ever rejects you because they think you're a cannibal because you eat the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray that nobody thinks you're a freak because you keep your kids home from public schools. Paul never says any of that, does he? I pray that in all things you will be strengthened in your inner man because he understands that it's the strength of the inner man that can cause us to endure a crushed spirit. Amen? The message of Scripture of, of, is, of all of Scripture is this. If everything in life is broken and shattered, if you've pursued Christ and your spirit is strong in him, you can navigate this broken world with peace, joy, strength, and it is supernatural. It does not make any sense, and it doesn't come from inside you. But if your sense of happiness hinges on your circumstances, your spirit will be crushed, and life will overwhelm you. A broken spirit, who can endure it? 
That's not a rhetorical question. The answer is nobody can. Nobody can endure a broken spirit. It sucks life out of you. Proverbs says if you don't believe that, here's the message of Proverbs. Proverbs says if you don't believe that the inner man can be strengthened to the point where your spirit is crushed and you can survive and you don't spend more time on your inner life than your outer circumstances and your appearance, then you're a fool. That's the definition of foolishness in the Proverbs. Keller says this, Are you far, far more concerned to deposit grace in your spirit than you are to deposit money in your bank account? If you're not, you're a fool. Because your bank account will dry up, go away, burn down. Trump's going to do something dumb. We're all going to lose everything in our 401ks at some point. Social Security is going to die and go away someday. If your outer circumstances are what you're depending on for happiness, you're a fool. That's the message of Proverbs. If you're building up your inner man for that moment when life comes and crushes your spirit, you're wise. So if we get to this place where we are crushed, because some of us are there now, if we get to this place where we are crushed, where we are beaten down, we don't have anywhere to go but to look up, what do we do? Thank God he doesn't treat us like simple people. He doesn't treat us like these little duct tape projects. You have duct tape projects around your house? It's actually really complicated, but duct tape fits his everything, right? Probably shouldn't put duct tape on it, but you do because it's the easiest thing to do, right? Thank God he doesn't have duct tape solutions for us, amen? But he's not piddling around with us. He's not playing around with us. He comes in like, this is major surgery. We gotta do something pretty radical here to get you ready. So he doesn't treat us like simpletons or duct tape projects. It's comprehensive solutions to complicated problems. That's what he gives us. Look at verse 18. The, this is an interesting little verse. The cast lot puts an end to strife and decides between the mighty ones. No matter what you read about this verse, no matter who, what commentary you read or how far back in Christian history you want to go, they all agree these people were throwing dice could have been feathers they use feathers sometimes sometimes they would just use different size sticks uh, sometimes they would use dice with little markers on them. they'd use bones so the idea is there's a complicated issue here we don't know which way to go your word doesn't directly address this particular issue god we trust you so much we're going to throw these feathers in the air and whatever they point to we'll do it because you're in control of the feathers i don't know if i'm ready to do that <laughs> you know what i mean Life is hard, it's complicated. So are we really believing that our modern world is so much different than the people who lived back then, that they didn't have problems with in-laws, and they didn't have health issues, and they didn't have to decide which doctor to go to, they didn't have to decide which trip to take or how to get there or how to spend their money or how to deal with a rebellious child? They trusted God so much that they would take dice and throw them and say, whatever those dice tell us to do, it's not chance, it's God. He's directing how the dice fall in my life. Part of our journey, part of us coming out of, emerging from a crushed heart, a crushed spirit, and I think also protecting our hearts from being too easily crushed is providence. It's to trust in the providence, the absolute goodness of God's providence. Jimmy said it a minute ago. You have to be convinced of all that. God is absolutely good. Not kind of good, not sort of good, not good sometimes, not good when I like what he's doing. How good is God? better good than you can imagine every other definition of good that you can think of emanates from the goodness of God and I can't even understand how good he is God's good good beyond comprehension right good to the point that I praise him no matter what happens in my life because he's good God is absolutely good and I'm going to trust that in his absolute goodness God's in control He's not passively in control. He's not cruelly in control. He is good and in control. Absolutely good and in control. We take our whys to him, W-H-Y-S. We take our whys to him, and then we rest in his answer, we rest in his silence, and we move into his purposes for our condition. Did you catch that last part? We take our whys to him, and we're going to rest in his answer, we're going to rest in his silence, and then we're going to move into the purposes for the circumstance we find ourselves in. Genesis chapter 22, famous story. Abraham's taking Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice him, right? It's his only child. He's an old man. 
taking his only son up to sacrifice him to the Lord. Isaac looks at him and he says, hey dad, where's the, where's the sheep? Shouldn't there be a sheep here? Right? What are we going to give as our offering to God? And Abraham's response to him is what? God will provide. God will provide the sheep. When they're done with that place and the horrible, amazing experience that he has on top of that mountain, he names the top of the mountain, God will provide. We are hopeful in poverty. We are humble in prosperity. We are patient in suffering. We are faithful in daily living because we know that he knows every hair on our head and he cares for the tiniest microorganism. He feeds the most distant mass of star and he is arranging things in my life to ensure that nothing separates me from his love. That's the providence of God. We are his children in his hands and we can trust that he is moving even what looks like chance for my good. Ooh, take that. Amen? He is good, and he is all in control, and I'm going to trust that he can take even the things that look accidental, and he is moving them for my good. If that is not true, we should just quit. And he is mean and cruel. He's powerful, but a cruel God. But he's not. He's powerful and a good God. Amen? Your spirit can be easily crushed if you're not rock solid in the providence of God. And you can move out of a crushed spirit by trusting in the rock-solid providence of God, the goodness of God. So that's one way that we move out that I think this psalm gives us is this constant trusting in that. Verse 10, I love this verse too. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are saved, amen? Man, your spirit is crushed. You're down. Now this only applies to believers, okay? If you're a lost person, you can't just go around saying Jesus all day long and get better, Okay? It doesn't work like that. It's not a magic incantation. We're not, you know, we don't have Christian voodoo here, okay? So it's not about just throwing the name of Jesus out like some kind of magical, instantaneous power. It's the name of the Lord. For those of us who have been made righteous, the righteous run into it. None of us are good on our own. God has taken his righteousness and given it to us through Jesus. So those of us who have trusted in Christ, what do we do? We can run into the name of the Lord. And what happens? We're saved, we're saved. For those of us who are made righteous in Jesus Christ, he is our strong tower. Running to Jesus is a run to joy and run to peace and confidence. To belong to Jesus is to know security. This is also in like the name of the Lord. Well, what name are we talking about? God? Holy Spirit? Yahweh? Jehovah? It's the name of Jesus. He's the one who's been given a name in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. It's Jesus. Jesus is the name of this strong tower. What are, we, what are we running into? His sinlessness, his resurrection, his life, his power, his peace, his joy, his completed work in destroying sin and hell and separation from God. We're running into his companionship, his victory over death, his unending, inexhaustible power. His name is a strong tower, who he is and everything that he's done. Listen, if you're here today and you're a crush, run to Jesus. The righteous run to him and are saved. Run to Christ. That is the gospel, this intimate, personal, daily, real relationship with God where you can run to him. Did you run to Jesus this last week? Some of us are at this place, we're crushed. Tuesday, we were crushed. Thursday, we were crushed. Last night, we were crushed. Did you run to Jesus? Did you just run to some texting somebody? Did you run to posting something? Did you run to go yeah, yeah with somebody on the phone? Did you run to Jesus? He is our strong tower, and in him, we are saved. Do you have somewhere this week, you're looking ahead, and you're like, I'm probably going to get crushed this week. You know, like you, it's imminent, it's coming. Run to Christ when your spirit is crushed, and in him you'll be saved. Wisdom trusts in the providence of God. Wisdom runs to God. Verse 24, this is my favorite part of the text. Your spirit is crushed. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Listen, you need friends. You need friends. Men, look in the eye. You need friends. 
You guys, we all need friends. You need a lot of time for the gospel to just kind of percolate down into every crevice and crack in your heart, right? You need a lot of determined effort to follow Jesus Christ and to know him even more and what that means to know him. But man, you need a lot of friends and people speaking godly gospel wisdom into you. You need friends. But here's what you need more than friends. You need that friend who sticks closer than a brother. Friends can only go so far. They're just places they can't go. They've never been there. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They have no idea how to help. Your answer to life isn't that you're lonely because you don't have friends. Your answer in life is you're lonely because you don't have God in your life. And there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I just read a report. Matter of fact, I read an article Thursday and I read an article this morning. Millennials, again, now they're 18 to 34. They're the loneliest generation in American history. 15% of millennials say that they have friends in their lives. 60% of them say, I have no friends. 60%. People who are over the age of 80 report higher friend rates than do millennials, which ought to be the easiest time in your life to make friends. They struggle with friendship. Read an article today about millennials. What are we going to do about the loneliness epidemic with millennials? You need friends, but you need a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You need a friend who, when you say, I am so sad, I am so worried, I'm so afraid, I'm so alone, I'm so tired, I am so guilty, I'm so confused, I'm so dirty. You need a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Psalm 86.5 God, you are good and you're abounding in love to everyone who calls to you because you're a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Psalm 116.2 Because you listen, I will call on you all day long because you're a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 2 Samuel 22.4 I called to the Lord and he saved me from my enemies because he sticks closer than a brother. Hebrews 10.22 Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water because he a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Romans 8.38, I'm convinced, I am convinced, can you even say that, that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, the persistent or the present or the future, powers, depths, heights, anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you, is that right? Because he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'm convinced of that. We need a friend that sticks closer to us than anything else. I think that this is our greatest fear in life, actually, to be alone. Not to just be alone like nobody's in the room or nobody's answering my texts or nobody liked my post. Or, like, you're alone. Not only are you alone, you're separated from people, but you know there's this distance between you and God. That's the worst place for us to be. You are alone, cut off from people, cut off from God. Now, I think in some ways we are sort of alone. It's part of our fracturedness and our complexity and our brokenness. Nobody really understands you. I hate to say this to our wives, but no, we don't get you. <laughs> we don't. And it's not because we're dudes. It's because you're a human being and I'm a human being, and we don't get each other. There is a complexity to us that goes beyond the human ability to understand. So in a way, we are alone, and that loneliness can, when we go through a crushed spirit, it really perks up to the top, doesn't it? All that stuff begins to come up to the surface, and we're like, I'm, I'm in my, by myself in this. Nobody's with me. I don't even know if God cares right now. The realization, the realization that our friends and our spouse and our family can only go in with us just so far when life is already hard, that can be soul-crushing. No one understands what I'm going through. I really think this is one of the greatest hopes of the gospel. That while we're busy, trying to have all of our relational and emotional needs met with boyfriends and girlfriends and spouses and children in the workplace and teams and all that stuff, we begin to experience that loneliness, that vast loneliness that exists in all of our hearts. And at that moment, here comes Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And he says, all throughout Scripture, here's what he says, I will hold you in my hand. I will be with you. I will dwell in your heart. I will fellowship with your spirit. 
I will discern your own thoughts and dreams and fears and help you understand them and help you express them to God. And I will change them so that they align with my character. I will be with you always. Keller once again says, he is the only one who can walk with you through every dark valley. He's the only one who can understand. He's the only one. And if you don't have him, it's not good enough to be good or moral or even to believe in God in some general way. If you don't have God as your personal friend through Jesus Christ, if you don't have an intimate personal relationship with him through Jesus, you are utterly alone. Wisdom trusts in the providence of God. Wisdom runs to God when our spirits are crushed. And wisdom rests in a friendship with Jesus Christ. Being crushed is just reference, I think, to when we are taken to our rock bottom. When life takes us there. I think when God lets us go there. He takes us to the rock bottom and we come to see that everything that we live for in this life fails us. Everything you can live for in this life will fail you. It cannot give you what you want and what you need. And when that realization begins to sink in and we don't have anything to fall back on, it's a crushing experience. But in God's grace, it's then, it's at that place, that place of emptiness that God takes us to. He steps in so that we would see that no more stuff or power or sex or health or acclaim or accomplishments, none of that can fix us. None of that stuff can fill us up. And it's God's grace that he allows us to see that about ourselves. We are broken and empty. Who can bear this? A crushed spirit. Who can bear that? No one. So we have to run to the high tower of Jesus. We have to run to our friend who can't fail. And then the Holy Spirit applies the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, to our brokenness comprehensively, deep change in the hardest, darkest parts of our lives. He changes us. Talked about it a minute ago, that idea of wind, spirit, ruach. It's the life has come along and knocked the wind out of you. Here's what we've seen in this Proverbs. It's easier to deal with a broken body than a broken spirit. Circumstances impact our spirits but our spirit's relationship with Jesus can empower us to face any circumstance. There are no promises in this proverb or in the Proverbs at all about tragedy or grief. There's just an observation that if they are in your life and they're unchecked, they'll destroy you. Tragedy, grief, aloneness, the difficulties of life that crush your spirit, if you don't check them, with the truth of who God is and the person of Jesus Christ, they will crush you. They will take your life from you. Unresolved despair, grief, sorrow, all of it can ruin you. And we are not intended to carry that or be defined by it. There is an end to natural courage. We are not a closed system. You are not a closed system. You are not intended to be an individual who runs by themselves all the time. You're intended to be an individual who runs in community with friends and with a friend who can't fail us in Jesus Christ. You need help from outside of yourself. You guys bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to end our time in some worship. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Are you here this morning and you're crushed? Like your spirit's crushed. And I'm asking for discernment. Not this is a hard week or I'm sad or I feel a little puny today. No, like you're crushed. Are you crushed this morning? Crushed in your spirit. The winds got knocked out of you. No passion for life. There's people in this room who are crushed, guys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. They're crushed. You know what they need? First of all, they need a friend. So I want you to pray two things. God, I'm crushed, and I need you to pick me up. I can't do this on my own. And then I want you to pray for a friend. God, it's hard to be crushed, and it's lonely, and I feel like I'm on my own. Would you send me someone who can walk with me? Now, here's the next thing. Some of you in this room, you're that answer to that prayer. Life's okay for you right now. You're not crushed. Could you just pray a prayer? God, who can I be a friend to? Who's struggling mightily? Who's been crushed by life? And I could be a friend to them. 
Show me. I want to be it. So, man, there, listen, that, that's not a rhetorical prayer, guys. I want you to really pray that prayer. Who can I be a friend to whose spirit's been crushed? Then I want to ask this question, man. Are you alone? Life is hard. Your spirit's beaten up. You feel it. You feel the weight of it. And you feel the loneliness, the absolute loneliness. And it's at those moments you would go, I don't know God. I am in this difficult place of having my heart crushed. And I really don't have a relationship with God. I can't call him my friend. That can change for you right now. I think God's calling out to you right now. And he's saying, I'll be your friend that never leaves you. I'll be your friend that stays with you for literally eternity. I'll make it so that you can have a relationship with God. Trust in me. Place your faith in me. You just ask God to forgive you and be the Lord of your life right now. Run to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Are you crushed this morning? The wind's been knocked out of you. Run to Jesus. He has power and he has the last word over your life. Isn't that awesome? Your circumstances don't get to tell you. You don't get to decide. God has the last word over your life. And Jesus is a strong tower and if you run to him, you'll be saved. Run to him this morning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's not over. Maybe you need to say that to yourself this morning. You're crushed in your spirit. You can't see any way out. I think the message for you this morning is it's not over. No matter what the enemy has said to you, no matter what you've even whispered to yourself in your darkest hours, it's not over. Are you breathing? Are you vertical? It's not over. God's got something for you. Run to him this morning. He is the friend who never leaves and who cannot fail. Say that to yourself. It's not over. God's got the final word in your life. Let's praise him and worship him as we go this morning.